everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. We are 100% sponsor-based, which means that all the revenues we derive come from sponsorships. But I try to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically trying to choose those who have values well aligned to the values expressed on this show, like freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do is a few ad reads right here at the top of the show and then a few ad, ad reads in the middle. And I hope you won't skip them. I hope you'll take the time, listen and see what they have to offer, because again, these are hand selected sponsors. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Swan Private is a concierge financial services firm based in Los Angeles. Now, I've known the Swan team for years, and these guys are laser focused on the Bitcoin mission. They even have a zero tolerance policy for all shitcoining. Recently, their CEO, Corey Clipston, was instrumental in calling out many of these crypto scams right before they collapsed, saving a lot of people a lot of money in the process. Swan Private focuses on guiding high net worth individuals and businesses on all aspects of Bitcoin strategy, including buying, custodying, and market research. This concierge service provides you direct access to a private advisor by text, phone, or email. So go to swanprivate.com slash breedlove today to sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Ledin. Ledin lets you do more with your digital assets. For instance, Ledin offers a B2X loan product that lets you leverage your existing Bitcoin to buy even more Bitcoin. Or you can also get traditional Bitcoin collateralized US dollar loans through Ledin as well. Ledin also offers both Bitcoin and USDC denominated savings accounts, letting you generate yield on your digital assets. Recently, Ledin has launched a Bitcoin mortgage product as well that lets you use Bitcoin to buy a home or finance one that you already own. So go to Ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io today to sign up. Pascal Najadi, welcome back to the What Is Money Show. Robert, uh, nice to see you again and thank you for having me. I'm very glad that we can do this together. As am I. Uh, last conversation was, was excellent. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to today. And right here at the top of the show, I think we're going to talk about the annexation of the Ukrainian regions by Russia. Um, you know, we're not, I just read a little bit earlier, um, some translations of some of Putin's speeches. And so it seems like a lot of the information we're getting on this Russia-Ukraine conflict in the West is just not accurate. Um, so I would love to hear what, what does this mean, this, this annexation of these regions? Uh, you, you mentioned also Putin has signed some decrees yeah. in regard to them becoming Russian territory. How does this play into the conflict? Uh, it's going to be difficult. Um, the West does not, not recognize those annexations. Uh, but let's go through history first. We had several annexations in the past um, in our history. We had Israel telling, taking uh, Golan Heights, the West Jordan and Jerusalem. We had the uh, UK taking Northern Ireland and Gibraltar. We had uh, Morocco taking West Sahara. 
and we had uh, the U.S. taking Hawaii in 1898. And uh, so annexation is not alien to the world. It is um, most of the times a fact of life. Now, in the in the in the Donetsk or sorry, in the Donbas region, it's significant. Why? Because historically and to present, most of the civilization there is ethnically Russian. They don't want to belong to Ukraine anymore after 14,000 people have been massacred in eight years since 2014. So they have a right to live and the right to exist. Putin made a clever thing from his part of view. Uh, his point of view, he in fact stopped the advance and focused on the Donbass, on, the, on this uh, socio-economic problem. And he solved it today signing the decrees to annex them, to integrate them into the Russian Federation territory. So from his perspective, he's been reliable for the Russians and for the Russian, ethnically Russian people there. And uh, it was celebrated today in Moscow. It's also clear that this is not acceptable to the West and many other countries on this world, in this world. So the conflict itself is, is actually escalating because NATO and the US uh, said that they will uh, increase the supplies of weapons to Ukraine and training for Ukrainian military against Russia. The question now is, will NATO get involved in a direct conflict with Russia? I presume, my thinking, I presume not. Um, that's a wise thing to do, because if NATO attacks Russia, then we have the problems that we discussed yesterday with the nuclear options and, and escalation that nobody wants. Nobody wants that. People want to stop the war. That's the first order. And uh, the first order should be a, an immediate ceasefire and the war to stop through peace negotiations. Uh, will Russia give those territories back? They are saying never. Uh, so you see where the problem is. Uh, the next few days will tell a lot. With that comes the sabotage of the two pipelines, the gas pipelines from Russia to Europe via Germany. Uh, they have been blown up. Uh, when we spoke, we spoke about Nord Stream 2. But now Nord Stream 1 also is damaged, which means Germany and Europe don't get any Russian gas at the moment and the winter is coming. So that's a real, real problem for everybody. And as I saw, there, there were actually German citizens protesting to end the sanctions on Russia and restore uh, the yeah. fl flows of uh, gas and energy to, to the country. Yes. That, that was option... right before the, the pipelines were sabotaged. Yes, that option is gone. Uh, so Putin's option, Putin's energy card has been reduced to zero because he cannot play it anymore. The Germans who were protesting, hoping to get gas and energy to their homes, they will still protest because the policy of the countries they belong to are wrong, in their view. Um, and now we have a somber feeling because tomorrow, the 1st of October, the German army will patrol German streets. Such a picture has not been seen since the Nazis were ruling in Germany in Second World War. 
it's very uncomfortable because the army, as you know, should never be used against its own people. I mean, America is not using the National Guard against American citizens. So the protests will increase. They will get more violent. And this is why Germany has called the marching order to, for tomorrow, that's 1st of October 2022, in order to quell any uprisings or any demonstrations that would harm the balance of power in the German government. So things are not looking very good here in Europe, as you can imagine. Yeah, it does seem to be going the wrong direction. Um, so from the speech that I read, again, it was a translation of Putin's speech. Yes. He seemed to be making the accusation that the West has basically been on, uh, they've been imperializing the world, right? Um, some of the critiques were, you know, they, they call nations like Japan and Germany allies when in fact they're, it's a military occupation. Yeah. And so Putin's perspective in the speech was that he's essentially defending against that, defending against uh, the attempted imperialization of, of Russia. Is that what this annexing is about? Is he annex, annexing these territories, uh, I guess, at least from his perspective, as a matter of, of defense or protection against against the West? Uh, no, the well, partly the annexing, annexing of those four territories, which are Zaporove, Kherson, and the Donbas, Lugansk, and um, Donetsk republics, um, he had to do it because the people again got killed in the last 88 years by the Ukrainian army. They were begging him to do it, so they're protected. That's the first order. The second order is, through this measure, he, he stood up against the West and he showed the West that he can solve problems regionally himself, or Russia can do it themselves. The third thing is, with that, he's pushing the agenda of a multipolar world compared to Bitcoin, decentralized, as opposed to a unipolar world, which is rules-based. The multipolar world is going to be, or is, international law-based, and every country has to respect that law. It's not rules, it's the law. It's a pretty different definition. So it fits into the narrative of Putin and Xi Jinping uh, to create a multipolar world, as opposed to being enslaved on a on a unipolar world that dictates everybody what they have to do. Like you saw um, Ursula von der Leyen line from the European Commission, she was threatening the Italians in their democratic elections two days before the elections were held. Uh, it's not a good move. Yeah, that was another thing that came up in that speech was... Uh... Putin criticizing the rules-based order and his critique was who who's making these rules that, exactly that, which is what it's ultimately all about right who gets to make the rules it, you know I've said this a lot in in regards to specifically economics and and money the power to make the rules is the power to win in perpetuity so yes. what the the world has needed for a long time is a level playing field yeah I don't think we really had anything like that before Bitcoin yeah uh this, we yeah uh this multipolar world though so 
unipolar meaning based on the dollar, right? And, and, and well, based on a dollar, based on U.S. foreign policy, right? And so, Putin was also making the point that the multipolar world is indeed more more decentralized, more democratic. In fact, so what is? I mean, that that actually seems to make a lot of sense. Sitting here as an American, like, okay, yeah, that that does seem to make more sense. So is the U.S. just trying to resist the fragmentation of its power, this transition from unipolar to multipolar? I believe you're right by saying that uh, they are defending that vigorously. Um, I believe that's why the pipelines have been blown up to take full control of Europe. Uh, the only gas supply, and it's not going to be enough, but the only gas supply that can go to Europe will be the LNG tankers from the US. Hmm. Uh, for that, you have to build terminals. It will take two years. And then the ship flow, the shuttling will, will start. Again, those ships are big if you see them in the harbor, but they cannot replace the volumes that are coming through the pipeline on a continuous basis. Um, so America is on a crossroad here. You see, in, in my view, institutions and countries, they never go backwards. They always go forward. The question is, do they go left, center, or right? Um, in this case, the US has no other chance to defend its hegemony. And I think one of it is also defending the dollar or propping up the dollar. I had a lunch today in Zurich with a financial banking journalist who is quite prominent. And we discussed this at lunch about Jerome Powell's policy right now in the Fed. Uh, we also discussed Bitcoin, but I'll come to that later. Um, clearly, I think the US wants to show the world that the dollar is reliable and uh, that investing in the dollar makes a lot of sense. It's strong currency, uh, has a higher yield. And who, who suffers from that right now? Is the euro? The British pound, you saw what happened to the British pound the last few days. Terrible. The Brits abandoned the hiking season. They couldn't keep up because their economy was just collapsing. Mm. And the ECB will face the same problems. The ECB is such on thin ice at the moment, economically speaking. They cannot follow suit and increase rates. Switzerland, the Swiss National Bank, SNB, they will probably follow the US model to fight inflation, which is prima vista a good thing because inflation per se, and then going into hyperinflation destroys absolutely everything. So the conclusion of this, if you are stepping a bit away from the currencies, the fiat money, look at what Bitcoin did. Bitcoin is quite stable. It, through all those crises, Bitcoin has been stable. People are waking up. They're migrating to Bitcoin because they see Bitcoin as being autark, decentralized, and limited in supply. So people say it's a disaster. It's at $19,000. I say it's an adjustment through the reasons we discussed in the last session. Um, it, is, it comes with it. But right now, in this huge crisis since the Second World War, never seen before, Bitcoin is steady. It's holding up well. Yeah, and the, the dollar price of Bitcoin 
has been mostly flat, but the dollar index, the DXY, has been surging. So yes, it's, that's that bodes well for for the that Bitcoin. bodes well, absolutely. Uh, so you said something interesting there that the, the sabotaging of these pipelines then effectively forces Europe to buy this energy from the West. Yeah. Or from U the U.S. specifically, yeah. right? So now they have yeah. to be shipped on U.S. tankers. Yeah. Europe. So is that's clearly in the U.S. best interest that these pipelines were it destroyed is. then. It is. Because, again, it destroyed the Putin energy card. Mm. Putin can no longer have the card in his pocket. For instance, for instance, he could have said, I'll open the pipelines again. I mean, the pipelines are open for you. You have a problem in winter. In case you want to open it yourself, we are here for you. Hmm. He can't say that anymore. They're not there anymore. Um, those pipes are laying 80 meters, about 300 feet below the surface. Um, you need special equipment and, uh, you know, special equipment to fix them. If they can be fixed, I have no information that they can. The Russians are saying if they can fix them, but it will take about a year or one and a half years. By that time, we have the biggest socioeconomic disaster happening in Europe, and that's happening now, it's starting now, and that's why the Germans deploy troops. So the biggest beneficiary from it politically and economically is America, clearly. And there's still no indication of who the saboteurs were. The Russians, the Russians are claiming that they have evidence that uh, U.S. equipment was in the vicinity of the sabotaged pipelines uh, uh, a week before they happened. Mm. That's according to the Russian intelligence service uh, published today. Um, again, the ones who don't benefit from all of this are two people, the Russians and the European continent. Mm. Um America has a big energy strength now vis-a-vis -vis Germany and the EU, a big one, a very big one. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's terrible to think what's going to happen this winter. Um, yes, um, you must what? imagine you must imagine German homes. We're talking tens of millions of homes. Fifty percent of German homes are heated by gas. And the winter is coming now. It's now 10 degrees outside Celsius. Uh, it's not comfortable if you cannot heat already now. Imagine now in November, in two months, we have the first snow coming in. Uh, winter in Europe is tough. Always been November till February. It's ugly. Mm. Uh, there's Christmas coming. A, a holy spiritual feast is coming, like also New Year. It won't be funny for those people because they cannot pay the energy bills. We got here a letter from our uh, lessor. We are renting this place here. It's not ours. And they sent a letter that they will dramatically increase the cost of energy during winter. They warned us today. And this is Switzerland. Switzerland uses only about 3 or 4% of gas for homes. So it's neg negligible. Okay, completely. Our power production comes from 60% water power, the dams in the mountains, like the Hoover Dam in America, and uh, nuclear power, 35%, and the rest is 
from usually from France. We buy the power from them because they have 58 nuclear power stations. But the French are not screwing us. The French are not doing anything against us. The French have planned longhand to maintain, to do maintenance on half of the, those power stations. They could not foresee the war and the crisis that was coming pretty quickly since February 24th of this year. So France is short of power themselves. They cannot send us power because they themselves don't have enough. So yeah, it's it's a it's a big dilemma. Wow, it's um, what will happen? I mean, if people cannot pay these energy bills, what do you foresee happening? People will, will yeah, leave. I mean, the the Germans are patient people. The culture in Germany, they are patient, but when it comes to their well being, like the real nitty gritty of well being and the wallet where they realize, and I talk about the lower middle class and the poor, and that's, that's most of the people. When they cannot make meat ends at the month to feed the families, now we had inflation coming out. German inflation today was published at 10%, 10%. And the food inflation in Germany, just the food CPI is at 19%. Can you imagine? 19%. And Holland, Netherlands, has reported today 17.1% inflation. 17.1% inflation. Those numbers have not been seen since the Second World War. Um, yeah, bleak, bleak indeed. Um, yes. I, man, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about it. Uh, so what is, is there what can people do if there's anyone listening to this either that wants to help or or try to resist i mean what can be done what people will do they'll take the streets yeah. literally and this is why from tomorrow on the german military will patrol the streets it's very simple they foresaw they foresaw that and they're doing that to keep the country from the government pressure calm. But the Germans, we know them, they go take the streets. And the right-wing party, for them, it's a blessing in the sky. Their quotas are growing very, very fast. When you say quotas, what, I'm sorry, what are you referring to? Referring to the AFD. The AFD is a right-wing party that is really, I wouldn't say they're neo-Nazis, they're not, but they're quite, well, they're conservative, extreme right-wing. Mm. But they don't do violence and stuff like that. They're, they're, they are in parliament. Mm -hmm. um, in the eastern territories of, of Germany, the former eastern German uh, GDR, uh, they are now standing at the quota at 30%. One party. Mm. They used to be at 10%, 12.5%, 9 9%. Um, on the western part of Germany, they are grown, they have grown to 20%. Mm. Uh, and they're grown, they've grown very fast. The the European GDP, 
just to tell you, uh, before the before the war, before the crisis, was about thirty two percent of European of world GDP. Europe, the EU, made thirty percent of the global GDP. It's gone down to about nineteen point five percent. So they have dropped a third in seven months. Wow. What also is happening is in Germany now, through the lack of gas and energy, the conglomerates, the car industry, for instance, or BASF, the largest chemical company, one of the largest in the world, they are scaling down, winding down, and the SMEs, they're going belly up or have to close voluntarily. Hmm. So we have a deindustrialization in Germany going on right now. You can imagine the jobless rate will, will, will spike over the next three to four months through winter. Hmm. And that in turn, those people will not vote left wing or green anymore. They will clearly vote AFD, who promises to stop the anti-Russian sanctions and to create peace and to create well-being for everybody. They are saying the German people are first, which is not wrong. And then we take care of other issues abroad. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. If you pay taxes and you elect your people to run the government and to run with the tax money, the budget, you expect that somebody says, I take care first of the Americans and then about the Swiss or the Ukrainians or the Germans or anybody else. Mm. So this, I mean... Clearly, we are entering times of chaos. There's, it's, things have become more chaotic, let's say, yeah. post-March yeah. 2020. Um, you know, I would argue that a lot of this is the the printing of money, right? When you, when you We've seen this historically. When you print money, people tend to go a little berserk, you know? Capital yeah. gets misallocated. Supply chains are disrupted. Yeah. Things start to make, make less sense, you know, not, not just prices, but just kind of reality. And then this shift towards more right-wing politics in germany is this then people demanding law and order they want some stability because of the chaos that surrounds them is that is that the they, shift they want job security they want stability peace or security and they want energy policy that secures their well-being Right now, none of those three points are evident in, in the German economy. Right now, all these three points have been destroyed. So you can imagine the insecurity of a worker or a family that depends on a job in a, in a, in a big company. And you see what they're doing with the uh, government uh, overspending for ridiculous stuff. They're shutting down nuclear power stations now. Mm. Those power stations are clean energy. They could keep them running at least through the winter. They don't. Uh, you have these people who are in power now in Germany. They have never had a job, a responsible job, or they never had to look for their own money. They always came from the academics and they were doing stone throwing. They were doing demonstrations all their lives and they came in into this government. Um, I'd like to see people in the government who had to run their own business they know the value of money because they're spending money, overspending money. Also Switzerland, by the way, overspending and overspending brings you into this 
uh, how should I say, you, you, you lose perspective. If you're in the government, you lose perspective. Everything on credit, everything on, on debt, mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that. And yeah. you know, there, there is a time where a government has to decide to make real austerity measures. Mm -hmm. Austerity measures, in my view, the way I did it with Hungary was rates are going up. Jobless benefits, jobless money benefits are going down, uh, incentivize people to work. Uh, pension money went down. Taxes went slightly up. I mean, all these crazy things had to happen in Hungary in the 90s. They were in the same situation, but they had energy. But all the rest was a pretty much difficult picture. And they did the austerity measures from 94 to 96. They did the belt tightening. They stopped spending. And guess what? They came out of it. They were smart. It took them two years. Then they started paying down the debt to the IMF, mostly the World Bank. And then they started to do sensible money management. And they started to manage the budget, a balanced budget, and started to be sane about spending. We in Switzerland see overspending. Right now, we have a big crisis coming. Um, we have the second largest bank, Credit Suisse Group, is on the brink of collapse today, as we speak. Mm. It's a matter, in my view, of a few days from now or weeks, and the whole thing will collapse. Nobody will touch it because it's full of toxic debt from the pre-2008 crisis, not resolved, not cleaned out, and they're sitting on all those fiat money monster contracts which involve structured finance and options and futures that nobody can re-engineer and nobody can understand. They're mm. sitting on the balance sheet and they're not out. So Credit Suisse is now going into the status of a bad bank, ring fence in a government, and I think the cost to Switzerland of this collapse will be $50,000 at least, uh, 50 billion, excuse me. And uh, the jobless rate, uh, jobless will be about 40, 50,000 people on the street. Um, and the big bank, which has a huge history over 100 years, will be gone. The second largest bank of Switzerland will take down other banks and will take down real estate because those real estate contracts are not valid anymore. They were financing till beginning of this year, they were financing you 90% on a property that people could not afford. They doing this, they were doing the same mistakes mm. pre-2007, 2008. They have not learned anything from the collapse of Lehman Brothers or Merrill Lynch for that matter. They have not learned from those big events that literally blew up the banking world. Now, who's going to take over those mortgages? The bad bank will have those mortgages on their book or they have them on the book. There won't be any bank coming in. Okay, I'll take over those mortgages. They will look at the contract. They will say, hey, our policy is 60%, 40% capital. This is 90 to 100% zero capital. We will not take over those mortgages. So what will then happen? Foreclosure. What will then happen is a collapse of the Swiss real estate market. People will lose their homes in wow. the next 12 months.
its programs. So you think Credit Suisse will collapse the entire bank? Yes, the group completely. Wow. You see, we analyzed this thing uh, in 2017, five years ago, and we made a proposal to the board, me and my colleagues. We said, let's do three things. It's really simple to understand. Take the group. The group is wealth management and it's investment banking. The investment banking actually never brought money. It was a huge risk factor for the bank, always been overpaid salaries, too many bonuses paid out, no revenue under the, under the, under the, uh, what do you call that? At the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very fancy, fancy offices, you know, Wall Street offices, Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, the best, the works. Uh, so the first step would have been, we suggested that to spin off the investment bank, make an IPO in New York and make them independent and sell it out. The second point was to restructure the IT. Credit Suisse is running 29,000 IT employees internally. Can you imagine that? Hmm. 29,000. And they're just there not to improve the system or to make something new. They are just there to maintain the status quo. Why? Their computers are 50 years old, not like this modern iPhone, 50 years old, and they're water-cooled. I mean, can you imagine running a mainframe on water-coolant? It's... 50. You don't even find the programmers anymore who can code that stuff. Hmm. They either died or they are in old retirement. Hmm. So we said, create a new data center greenfield and make it so and such that we can outfarm, outsource the services, not outsource, we can offer to other banks in Switzerland. There's about 500 banks and banking institutions or bank-like institutions. They can run their IT for our data center. We can Chinese wall it very, very easily through technology. And the third thing was focus just on Swiss wealth management. What I learned today from the journalist, and he's a prominent one at lunch in Zurich, was right now, as we speak, Robert, the wealthy clients of Credit Suisse are pulling out. They're running away. We don't have a bank run yet. But the wealthy clients of Credit Suisse are now, as we speak, running to other banks and taking out their money. With them goes the good guys. The good guys, I'm saying, those who made revenues, people who have a great CV, they're going to Goldman Sachs, they're going to UBS, they're going to Merrill Lynch Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, they're gone. So what you have is the poor employees, I feel sorry for them, those in the back office, it's not their fault. They will lose their jobs and they have nowhere to go because the banking industry is consolidating in this country. I think consolidating also worldwide because the fiat system is failing or failed. And now we see the effects of it. This is Switzerland managing 30% of global wealth. One small country, 40,000 square kilometers. You know, it's very, very small. 8 million people is nothing. I think greater New York, city of New York has about 12 million people. Mm. Wow. And what is your, I, I, I know timelines are very hard to predict, but if you had to 
estimate when you think this will take place? How how it's, long? It's, how long do you think it's, have? it's it's accelerating very fast because today senior management today issued another memo, which is totally you know it, it reveals a lot from top management to all the employees of the bank, saying disregard the media, keep a cool head and focus on your business. Between the lines, they say to them, you know, we're done. It's stupid to make such a memo. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing how that develops. You said something earlier too. I want to highlight there. That... Sorry, to, to explain to you. Sorry. Mm -hmm. the, the, the book value of the bank now is below $10 billion. It's about $9 billion with the current share price of $3.80 or 70. It's it's $9 billion. The bank is worth roughly, if you break it up, $40 billion. So the book value is at $9 billion Swiss francs or dollars. Can you imagine? It's so cheap and yet nobody touches it, even not the foreign bank, because they know it's full of bad fiat credit unresolved wow so the timeline is a few days or weeks that's it and the government will have to bail them out the cost to the government to us the taxpayers here in this country will be 50 billion dollars and do you think they'll a, do that? they have to mm. nobody will <laughs> nobody will 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 touch this bank with a six foot pole? Nobody. They, they won't let it fail. This that's not likely. No, because it's the second largest bank. Imagine the systemic fallout yeah. from such a crash. Wow, interesting. Excuse me. Well, you said something earlier. I want to highlight that. Um, Please. People in government or in the public sector. They really should ha have to prove themselves in the private sector before taking these roles. Yes. Um, and that makes just an incredible amount of sense to me in that these people have never operated a business with like their own skin in the game, right? They don't know what it's like to suffer real losses, right? If you just come out of academia and go straight into leadership, um, you never, because, because in the public sector, you're spending other people's money. Ultimately, correct. It's correct. not your capital that you're you're spending. And I'm reminded of a uh, a quote by the the economist Thomas Sowell, and I'll paraphrase. He said something to the effect that, you know, the entrepreneur is rewarded for making money, but the bureaucrat is rewarded for spending money. Correct. And that's a real problem. You know, it's it it's is a, it's a very uh, backward incentive it is that, you know a business needs to be profitable to be relevant that's effectively what it's doing but again if you're you're spending other people's money that it's not you don't have that incentive you don't have that disincentive to malperformance i guess you would say absolutely or you could say that since the money is being stolen right all the revenues are coming in via inflation taxation there's no it's very easy to spend other people's money it's it's much harder to spend money that you earned, right? You you understand the value of. Yeah. Can look. Can we ever get to a system like that? I mean, it seems to me, as so long as taxation exists, that this is going to be an incentive problem that we have. That it's whoever's in charge of government is going to misallocate the capital. That's one thing. 
uh, I call it in a simple one word, accountability. Mm. I mean, people got to be accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. And if they're not good, they're reviewed every six months. You know what? They should be out, removed. That's it. Um, as you said, why is the government spending money greatly? Because it's not their money. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur or if even if you're an employee, you have to work hard to get your paycheck. You will think twice how you spend it. You're not going to buy a Porsche at the end of the year if you're doing $70,000 a year and have a family to feed. You don't do these things or not even not leasing a car like that if you're sensible. Um, and the politicians are doing exactly that also in this country here. They're hugely incompetent and they spend other people's money. For instance, they want to have the nicest airports, the nicest train stations with luxury features in them. And frankly speaking, what I want is a normal train station that is clean and secure. Yes, but I don't need marble floors. I don't need all these uh, bells and whistles of an architect that draws up a greater budget uh, trail train station or airport just to show the world that we have the nicest airports or stuff like that, where budgets are just overblown, like twice the price it was indicated or thir- three times the price. It goes back to ac- accountability. Same thing for central bank governor here in Switzerland. They lost uh, $95 billion dollars in the first six months of this year in forex transactions now if i take in a country the real experts in an institution about forex it would be the central bank guys because they are paid to do the job and they should have the background knowing more about foreign exchange than an average trader or a, a people because they have mm. very expensive research in-house to make sure they manage the risks. 95 billion Swiss francs have been blown up by trades that have gone wrong on the Forex side and, and stocks. Um, it's unheard of. Uh, the central bank capital is $1 trillion. Now, it sounds like a big number. It is a big number. But if you hear that 10% is gone in six months, through obvious trading mistakes and there's no accountability. Central bank governor is still sitting in his job here. Mm. If I would have made those losses as a president or under my watch, I would voluntarily in shame resign on Monday morning and I would take full responsibility and I would resign from that job knowing that I would not get a job anywhere any, anymore, any, anywhere else. But it was my responsibility. Even if I did not do the trades myself, it was under my watch. Mm-hmm. But that kind of thinking, they don't have that. Mm-hmm. They are pampered. They are uh, politicized positions. And you know, I always say, if a minister of finance or a central bank governor is loved by the people, he's doing something wrong. Hmm. Because the ministers I met who were tough, they were hated by the people because they were tough on the budget, because they were tough on, on spending and tough on the income. And they made a good job. I, I saw a few examples of that in Central Europe in the 90s. Yeah, there's, the... a, there's a Hungarian saying. The Hungarian saying in paraphrase is, 
always vote for a fat, fat, obese mayor because that guy is at least rich. He doesn't make corruption. Mm -hmm. Don't go for the thin one because he he will. That's the Hungarian saying. It's not mine. It's them. <laughs> now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it. Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to, there's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy to use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download this state-of-the-art wallet software. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Pacific Bitcoin Conference, brought to you by Swan. Now this is gonna be a two-day event in Los Angeles, November 10th and 11th, 2022. And if you haven't been to a Bitcoin conference yet, I highly recommend it as there really is no better way to get integrated into the Bitcoin community. Speakers announced so far include Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, uh, many others. I'll be speaking as well. Uh, Michael Saylor is even quoted as saying, this is going to be the event of the year. So you definitely don't want to miss it. Uh, so go to PacificBitcoin.com and use discount code BREEDLOVE to get your tickets today. Now, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This is going to be a three-day event held May 18th through 20th, 2023 in Miami, Florida. This is going to be the biggest Bitcoin event of the year, and the past two years in Miami have been simply amazing. Speakers already announced for 2023 include Michael Saylor, Alex Gladstein, Corey Clipston, and many others. Last year, we did a 10 million sats giveaway specifically for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million sats, go to b.tc slash conference slash 2023 and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Masterworks. Masterworks gives you access to the fine art market at more affordable price points. They do this by offering you fractional shares in their $500 million portfolio of fine art. Now, fine art is an alternative asset class, and historically, it's been a great performer and a really good hedge against inflation. Most investors typically hold anywhere from 2 to 10% of their assets in an asset like fine art. To sign up or learn more, go to masterworks.com and use promo code BREEDLOVE. Now, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CASA. 
Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. It's funny that, that just to talk about the Forex market itself, that is something that is 100% a parasite on the marketplace, right? This, this speculative right. exchanging of currencies, it, it simply would not exist on a Bitcoin standard. There would be, there'd be no such thing as Forex. And to give you the, the last I looked at this, the daily volume in Forex markets was like $5 trillion per day. Imagine. On an annual basis, it's like 16 to 20 times the size of the world economy. Um, yeah. That might be understated, actually, but it's it's much larger than the entire world economy. And it's just this, it's this casino, right? This casino built on top of um, real productive activity in the marketplace. So yeah. um, that would be Not one big win, I think, just getting rid of that entirely. The Bitcoin standard would be bringing peace, reliability into the market, um, a sense of security. And again, peace. I think if we fix the money first, we have got peace. We don't have jealousy anymore. People with proof of work, they work for a job, they get Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, because it's limited in, in issuance, will constantly, sometimes more, sometimes less, but constantly will improve, will be deflationary, and they they would be happy. Everybody would be confident. Right. Yeah, you would know that you could secure your savings into the future. Yes. And that's really yes. that makes, makes all the difference. Imagine um, imagine you work uh, you work for 40 years in a company and it goes to your pension fund, a certain percentage by law. And you come out of this 40 years, you're now 65 or 70 years old, and you find out that your purchasing power has gone eight down 80 or 90 percent. Mm. What kind of what kind of retirement is that? Right. Horrible. Yeah. Indeed. Um, so clearly there's a lot that needs to change in the legacy financial system. Well, abolish it because it doesn't work. Look at what's happening now. Again, I mean, maybe it's not shocking enough, but Holland has a, a inflation rate a year on year of now 17.1%. Right. Germany at 10%. It went up from 8.5 in August. It jumped to 10. Imagine what's going to happen now through October, November, and December. It's going to go like this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the theft is rampant um, on, on multiple sides. And I think that we... People have known this for a long time. People have known, you know, in the U.S. we always talk about Wall Street, right? Wall Street's, a yeah. casino. It's, it's very corrupt. And 
all of these games get played with wealth that pe real people, real workers are creating, but it gets funneled into Wall Street and there's all these games played on top of it. And effectively, a lot of rent seeking happens, right? Where they're just extracting wealth. That's why I always, I always refer to this as a parasitical thing because I think in a biological paradigm, that's very much what it is. There's the hosts, right? The, the working organism working, that's creating wealth class. and growing. And then there's a parasite that's that's siphoning yeah. wealth away. And so people have known this for a long time that something is deeply broken. Something needs to change. We've been unable to, like you said earlier, right? We learned, quote unquote, learned certain lessons in 2007, 2008. But here we are, less than two decades later, repeating the same things. Uh, the derivatives market is, again, back to where it was, you know, pre-07. So we don't seem to be learning these things seriously enough. And if if anything, if any, if there is a way to fix it, it seems to me it would have to be fixing the incentives. And that's yeah. why we talk so much about fixing the money. But your father made efforts to try and fix some of this as well, as I understand it. Yes. And, um, you know, I know this is a, a personal story for you, and I don't know where you want to start with it, but well, as, as a man that was, I guess, saw some of the same problems we're talking about today, he, he chose to take action. Yes. And, um, he yeah. did. He did. He was a developing mind developer. Uh, we he created a lot of billion dollar companies, but we never had a private jet or a yacht like that. We were. I was brought up quite strict. Uh, was always pocket money. I I, I was grown up privileged. Definitely. Uh, we had several places where we stayed in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Malaysia, in New York, in London. But um, he always told me that money doesn't grow on the on the on the trees. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was always engaged in developing things. So he built a bridge with his bank in Malaysia. It was called the Arab Malaysian Bank or Arab Malaysian Development Bank to bring Arab oil money and capital to Asia to develop the industries there, which were completely virgin at the time. We're talking 70s. Okay. Uh, it worked very well. Uh, recently, I talked 2012 and 13, he realized that the government of Malaysia is laundering money. He suspected it. He didn't have proof, but he suspected it, that there's a big money laundering going on. So what has happened, the Malaysian prime minister, who's now in prison, by the way, he created a investment fund, a government fund called 1MDB. You can Google that, 1MDB. And what they did were fake contracts with Arabs, fake oil contracts. The money went through Swiss banks, American banks, offshore banks, Cayman, BVI, Singapore, Hong Kong. They were laundering in a, in a span of about three years, $7 billion through fake contracts. And the money went into art, penthouses on, on Fifth Avenue, uh, Bond Street in London, a, a 120-meter yacht, private jets, parties, and, by the way, 
the movie Wolf of Wall Street was financed through this money. Wow. DiCaprio, DiCaprio had to return the Oscar that was gifted to him by this by this Chinese middleman who was running the fund, Joe Low. And Joe Low is still on the run. He's, he's hunted by the US government for fraud and money laundering uh, internationally. And he's hiding between China or some islands. We don't know. Uh, the the ex-prime minister, Mr. Najib, has been found guilty a, a few months ago, guilty as charged, isn't in the present prison now, and his wife will follow for money laundering, government money, taxpayers' money. Can you imagine? It eclipses the Marcos case. $7 billion through private accounts, stuffing your pockets from taxpayers' money over three years. That's that's the big theft. That's the big heist. That's the Bonnie and Clyde maximum deal out there. It went to Picasso's. It went to uh, parties with Paris Hilton in Saint-Tropez. Uh, opening champagnes that cost three, four, five, six thousand dollars a bottle, uh, spraying it on people. That was people's money. Can you imagine? Wow. Wow. And so, what you mentioned another case here. You said it, it was bigger than the the Marcos money laundering yes. case. Yes. So this is yes. the largest money laundering, or I guess governmental money laundering case in history then it is you can ask the uh the uh u.s justice department there you can google that all the files are online um you know the case is uh, is, is still ongoing they're still looking for money that is being siphoned away it's the largest money laundering scandal scandal in the history of money laundering by one entity wow yeah, I mean the, the the wife of Najib, Mrs. Rosma, she looks very ugly, by the way, very ugly woman. She bought she bought Hermes bags that cost two three million dollars a bag, like white albino albino crocodile and stuff like that, um, spiked with diamonds and rubies. Can you imagine a handbag, two to three million dollars? You know, there's and uh, there's just no relation to it. Two to three million dollar purse. That is, I didn't didn't even know that existed. And she had about she had about two or three hundred of those um, purses from Hermes. Only Hermes. <laughs> she went for the most expensive there is, and it's Hermes. I'm not making advertisement for the brand. I'm just saying right. it's a fact. Well, once again, it's easier to spend the money that you did not earn. So that's not. And you know, the, the funny thing is the film Wolf of Wall Street was a big hit. Let's admit that. Mm -hmm. But it showed the decadence of investment banking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the movie. Yes, great movie. And it was financed through that kind of money. It's quite, you know... It's ironic. Full circle. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So then what was... What role did your father play in this scandal? Like, how, how was he related to it? The bank that he founded in 1975, Arab Malaysian Bank, was the bank where the first $680 million were funneled through on the accounts of the prime minister through a proxy. 
And he learned about that and, and he, he went to the Central Bank of Malaysia to report it. Big mistake. He was naive. Big mistake. He should have left the country and said, look, there's stuff going on. I can't, he was not involved. He was his, his bank that he sold in 1981. He was no longer a director or involved, but he was a, uh, a righteous man and he was always vocal about things. But this one was one too much. Mm. He should have told me like he did, fine. And I made a mistake. I should have advised him, let's pack our bags and leave the country because this is just too much. Mm. So he reported the scandal through traditional channels then? He reported, <laughs> reported it directly to the, you said to the central bank? To the central bank governor, yes. It's a lady. Was right. a lady. And what what was the response? I mean, what, what action? They told, him, they told him not to talk about these things. That's what I know. Like mafia talk, you know, just, you know. Wow. Yeah. And a few weeks later, I was in Moscow on a business trip. I was in my room in the morning. Moscow has a delay of four hours from Malaysia. Four hours less, like you are six hours less from here right now. Yeah. And it was my, it was my morning. I was on the phone already in my room with a German colleague and my hotel phone, I was on the, on the mobile phone, but my hotel phone rang the desk phone and it was a crying, my, my, my Russian, tu Russian language tutor from Malaysia was crying into the phone, crying, weeping. And I thought, I was on the other line, I said, do you have any problems with your husband? What happened? She was crying and crying, couldn't talk. So I said, look, I have to hang up because I'm on the other phone. I'll, I'll call you back. I hung up. Then she called again and couldn't talk and hang up. And then her husband called me and said, Pascal, please sit down. When he said, please sit down, the time stopped. It was complete. I knew what, what, the, what the message was. Now, I thought car accident, heart attack. But when he told me that he got assassinated in broad daylight at 12.30 lunchtime in the downtown of the city of Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, I had, it was, uh, Robert, it was a complete vacuum around me. The, the time stands completely still the way I experienced this emotion. Um, I couldn't cry. It was impossible. I just had to take air, breathe, and sit down. And, you know, there was noise from Moscow streets, from the hotel. It was all faded out completely. Complete silence. Then the hotel put up the security on my floor. The Russians took good care of me. They advised me not to fly back. The first thing I wanted to do is fly back. And they said, no, you're staying here because we don't know who did this at this moment. We didn't know why. And you're the only child of, of Hussein Najadi. If you go back, you run the risk that they will assassinate you as well. So I was holed up in Moscow for six weeks, not daring to go back until I took the decision to fly back. And then I took my mother out who was there and we fled the country through Moscow, me and my mother through Dubai, back to Switzerland. My God. That... Yeah. 
It's horrible. Um, so the consequences medically, and I can out myself here on screen, I'm I'm suffering a severe depression. I have very strong medication. Um, I'm not I'm not over it to be honest, and uh, it's it's every time is a battle for me. And what year was this? 2013, the 29th of July. Wow. I'm not over it, to be honest. Uh, it's the way it is. And you said that it was the the gunman was uh, hired Chinese mafia, right? For he was a a, a Chinese mafia, low level mafia guy. He got five thousand dollars to pull the trigger, three bullets. One went through the heart immediately. Thank God my father didn't suffer. He didn't feel anything, according to the post-mortem examination. And uh, that guy got $5,000 from a Chinaman called Lim Yun Su, who left the country on the day of the assassination for Australia. So the, the police tried to convince me that they were trying to arrest the guy in Australia. But then this guy escaped into China for two years, vanished completely. In the meantime, I mobilized Interpol, which is an international police organization from Lyon, France. They were hunting him down and they caught him coming back to Malaysia two years later. They put him into confinement of the police for eight days and they let him go. They said lack of evidence. So he's free again. He's free. But you mentioned the prime minister that engaged in the money laundering scandal yeah. originally is now in jail. He's now in jail for 12 years and he has 40 more cases to answer. So he will rot in jail. Um, people said to me, don't you want a death sentence? I said, that's not my style. I don't wish death to anybody. That's not revenge. Uh, he, should, he, should, he should be in a prison in a, in a Malaysian, can you imagine a Malaysian prison? That's where you have cockroaches and stuff. Mm. So um, that serves him right. Uh, he should spend the rest of his life in a cockroachy cell, which is humid. Um, that's where he belongs. Wow. As an example for others, there shouldn't be any VIP treatment just because he was the prime minister. Under the law, mm. in my view, everybody's the same. Mm. How did that experience change you? I, I... A lot. Um, today, I'm a peace activist. I quit banking completely. Uh, I'm a peace activist and Bitcoin activist. The two for me are very important because I can do therapy through this. It's like a therapy, especially with Bitcoin and peace or justice and peace and Bitcoin. Mm. They belong together. And if we can make a better world, if I can loan my experience for free to other people like we're doing now, share experiences in a very open way. It helps others, other people to understand certain mechanisms better or they have a prime source of information like me or a witness speaking about it unfazed. I have nothing to gain. I'm doing this pro bono to try to educate people about money. And the conclusion is that Bitcoin is the only money that is worthy uh, saving and keeping. That's what it is. Yeah, because it's, you, a, it's a therapy. Well, it's 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 great that you're em, embracing the 
pain, the psychic pain that this experience brought you and channeling it towards something good. Yeah. Productive. That's, I mean, that's probably the best you can do. And when I look at this situation and I trace the cause, right? You trace the cause all the way down. It's, there was a lot of money being stolen, right? From people that from the people they didn't know, right? Presumably, obviously they're getting fleeced. Um, no one likes to get fleeced. So it was done in a way that was hidden or concealed. And that, that, I mean, that's, that's corruption, right? That's the bending of some public trust or yes. public rule for private gain. Yes. And then a man like your father basically attempts to shed light on that corruption and say, Hey, you know, this isn't right. This is unjust. This is on, this is, it's theft, right? It's theft. So it's daylight robbery. And you draw attention to this daylight robbery and that cost him his life. Yeah. So, you know, if in a hypothetical world where money would not be so easily stolen or so easily concealed that you could conceal this theft that, you know, there's, there's a through line here that we could prevent senseless murder like this right we yes uh it goes back to bitcoin the the answer is people are saying bitcoin is uh, mafia money it's opaque it's actually the opposite from cash those 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 mafia people in malaysia the prime minister and his wife they were hoarding by the way 200 million dollars at their home in cash wow <laughs> no trace right with Bitcoin, we've got a ledger. <laughs> you see all the transactions, where it went and where it came from. Uh, so the argument that Bitcoin is money laundering money is untrue. If anything is money laundering money, it's the fiat system. And, you know, the banks, one bank had to close down, the Swiss bank BSI, Banca Svizzera Italiana, they had to shut down. The regulator pulled the license in Singapore, and in Switzerland, uh, because they were not respecting KYC at all. Yeah, it, it, I mean, uh, this phenomenon that I try and explore in the show a lot is this this reciprocity between man and money, right? If, or you could say man and incentive, I guess. That it's almost like human characters are sculpted by the incentives incentive structures that they inhabit so when you have broken incentives you get really broken outcomes right this is like charlie munger said show me the incentive i'll show you the outcome and so that you know when you say you're you're a peace justice bitcoin advocate i mean these things are all very tightly bound right it, they are one is just a pure incentive it's really hard to steal so if you can't steal it then you just go and work for it, right? You try to satisfy someone else's wants to earn money, right? Through employment, consensual trade, uh, entrepreneurship, all of these things. And so this is just, I mean, it's a very visceral story of how the, you know, I think the corruption of money, it really does cr creates very terrible, horrible outcomes like this. It does. And you got the black economy, and then we have a huge gray economy through the cash. Mm. 
and those result in net errors and omissions for the tax revenue. <laughs> you know, uh, it's the way it is. Uh, the fiat system encourages, uh, in the in 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 the sense, theft. You you can have regulations in place and laws, but you cannot trace the banknotes going, which is fine. I, I I'm for a cash society in the sense that I don't want central bank digital currencies to be imposed on the people because that is slavery. The government knows and can program the money so you cannot spend it anymore. But uh, the cash or the fiat system is corrupt. The banks, the central banks are feeding the banks, Wall Street, and Wall Street is creating literal toxic chunk and is placing it into people's hands and taking their money into their pockets every day like you mentioned foreign exchange it's crazy right yeah it's not you know private transactions i think that's that's part of private property again but yeah it's, it's this systemic this opportunity for systemic theft right where you can create the whatever the name of the fund was that he created and just fleece taxpayers at scale look at look at madoff i mean yeah still a lot of I mean, madoff was able to trick and lie to the most professional banks and uh, investment funds and private banks in the world they believed that guy he was lying to them for years and produced fake reports the problem is with a criminal if a criminal is really sophisticated and you like the person is likable and then this person lies to you from a to z it's it takes time to look through you know uh, if everything looks super cool the best law firm in town and all these things you trust it's crime right yeah man it's, we just need uh, proper incentives yeah I think to minimize things like that, right? You, yeah. you get a, a lot less, a lot less bullshit and a lot less bad outcomes when the incentives yeah. are structured properly. Correct. Yeah. So, I forgot to tell you, Europe has 500,000 mobile antennas, mobile, what do you call those? Um, cell phone towers. Uh, they calculated yesterday that they will have to shut them down because not enough energy and the battery packs are lasting for 30 minutes. Now imagine what happens. Chaos. They're going to take down the cell network? It will be down because there's no energy. Blacked out. Jeez. Yeah. Imagine crime spiking. You can't call the police. You can't call emergency. That's one thing. But socially, I mean, many people rely on this. It's their life. The yeah. kids. Everybody. So your TV doesn't go. You're, you're, you, you're at home and nothing works. And the pumping stations, the fuel pumps for cars don't work as well. ATMs don't work. Banks don't work. Chaos. Uh, uh, water water pumps in the houses like this one is 500 years old. Mm. Without a pumping system, sorry to say, the toilets don't work. <laughs> you know, not not showering for two, three days, you can arrange yourself a bit. Fine. 
or not taking a full bath, fine, mm. but not being able to do the human human rights. Uh, we have a forest up here, <laughs> uh, up the hill. But uh, yeah, we're going straight into the Stone Age without with, with a flick of a switch. It's crazy how fast all of this just unwound. You see, you in America are fine. You got energy. You have an energy policy. And you guys, the government has enough power and natural resources to sustain. Europe, as you know, since Tuesday, no energy. It's unbelievable, honestly. Yeah, it is. And, it, you know, the solution is just get out of the market's way. The oh, market yeah. Solves all these problems. Yeah. It's yeah. self it's self-destructive. It's just this repeated self-destructive behavior that we've seen launched in. It is. Um, where, okay. Where do we go next here? I'm looking at. Up to you. Our yes. WhatsApp thread. I'm, sure, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Well, so. Point number three in the WhatsApp was the Switzerland having a unique chance to restore peace to the world. We, we sort yeah. of talked about that in the first session together. So I don't know if we you did that. No, no, we don't have to repeat it. But, uh, you know, even now it's getting more acute. Uh, maybe we can expand a bit what's happening today in politics right here, right now. Um, the government is confused and Switzerland has abandoned neutrality that we have since 1815, since the Paris Accords and the Vienna Congress, 1815. It has been destroyed in seven months' time. So Switzerland, on a strategic point of view, is moving into a European Union mess, NATO alliance, where we don't belong. We, we do not engage in war or war-related topics. And one party, the central central centrist party FDP, where Cassis, our president, belongs to, has made a study to send Swiss soldiers alongside NATO to Ukraine. We have done this the last time in the 16th century. Um, unthinkable. Hmm. Un unthinkable. Hmm. So the Swiss image, the way you know it, and I'm sure you had an image of Switzerland or have an image, image of Switzerland. Right now, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a patriot. Right now, I'm telling you it's not the same that you think it is. It's hugely mismanaged at the moment. And it's it, there's incompetence miles away and everywhere. And no accountability. That's the biggest problem. Now, Switzerland, I think, went off the gold standard in the 90s, or 91, perhaps. Yeah. Have you noticed an increase in incompetence and lack of accountability since that transition? Yes. Uh, you've seen it, same like in Germany, a phenomena that you have people in power here who never had really a job to do or to worry about an income. 
they get huge salaries. They get $350,000 a year. Give you an example, Putin's salary is 150,000 euros in comparison. But our guys are getting 350 in office and then for life, for life, until they die, 200,000. I don't think it's good. It's it's too too feudalistic. It's not good. And what do you think? Like, I mean, so when I look at, I'm studying history of money and government. Yeah, that gold standard was really important because it was a check on government, right? If a government was irresponsible or excessively oppressive or irresponsible with monetary policy, whatever, people could vote with the gold, right? You could take your gold and pull it out of the bank or you could move to another jurisdiction, whatever it may be. And it seems like when you remove that check, there's nothing left to inhibit the overgrowth of government, let's say. And I just wonder, you've been in Switzerland for the past 30 years? Well, no. Uh, I grew up here as a kid and I did military service when I was uh, 18 for two years nonstop. Um, Then I worked for UBS first, the largest bank of this country, an internship for one one year and eight months. Then I worked for a Swiss public, uh, was used to call call the Swiss People's Bank Um, for two years. That bank collapsed through mismanagement. And then Merrill Lynch hired me to build the capital markets arm in Switzerland, in Zurich, Mm -hmm. for Merrill Lynch. And then I got promoted to London. And from from then on, I was in London till 2002 and three. I came back briefly to Switzerland for, for almost a year. Then I went to Kazakhstan, advisory for the president there. Then I went to Vietnam. I worked two years in Hanoi, in the north of Vietnam. Have you been to Vietnam? No. Okay. Uh, I was in the communist north of Vietnam. I was responsible. I was the chief rep for Bombardier Aerospace, the Canadian company. They make aircraft. Mm. And then I supported my father 2008 until his his, uh, murder, his, his assassination. And then I came back to Switzerland. I came back here 2014. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so a lot of things have changed here. The biggest employer in the country right now is the city of Zurich. Hmm. Bureaucrats. Right. The government is top heavy here. It's you got you got workers in the government for any detailed job, uh, putting piles from left to right and backwards, uh, stamping them electronically. I suppose today, um, that's what you have. It's 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 overgrown. The government uh, the government spending on on government employees is is crazy. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to get at with the question was how much has that top heaviness expanded since going off the gold standard, I assume? Oh, uh, by a factor of, of many. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you the statistics now, but uh, you can Google them. But uh, uh, you have two things happening. The, 
the the supply of government employees went up and the existence of the middle class the numbers went down right even in switzerland although we still have the highest per capita income in the world we are still the richest country in the world on paper for 21 statistics this will change drastically through 22 and 23 and the following years the banking crisis that we're going through will be severe because the fed continues to hike rates the swiss national bank will follow the fed to fight inflation the the real estate market will collapse or come down and who is on, on, on below them is the banks the banks cannot get rid of the mortgages they have to get rid of the foreclosures the houses uh, it's a domino effect it's going to happen in, in in switzerland the next two years you'll see this market coming down heavily Wow. And so you brought this up earlier that um, the cell phone towers uh, yeah. may are at risk, I guess, as a result of this energy crisis. In the European Union, not in Switzerland so far, or they're keeping it quiet. But yesterday, Reuters reported it that the European Union, Union is working on solutions to avoid this. And frankly speaking, they can't avoid it. If we have a four-hour blackout, or a gray, they call it grayout, not the blackout. A four-hour, four hours, so four hours off power, four hours on power, four hours off power. During the four hours off power, the cell phone, uh, uh, what do you call this, masts, the towers, mm -hmm. there's half a million of them throughout Europe, European Union. They have a battery pack for 30 minutes to sustain a power cut. So it means for four hours or three and a half, these things don't work. So you have to think it's through. Mm. Crime will spike. You can't call the police. You can't call the ambulances. That's the first order, first problem. And businesses will just will just implode because you, you know, no phones. I mean, right. you know, and socially people will start to do anarchy. I mean, they will start to revolt. And children will get depressed because there's no more entertainment for them. No no, no Donald Duck show, no, no mobile phones, nothing. It's just not happening. So that's the risk we're running into. It's not confirmed, but it's quite logic. If there's no power, there's no power. And uh, that could create a lot of chaos. Literally. Yeah, and all the, I mean, there's so much, I mean, at least in the world I live in, like all business now is handled digitally, right? It's all handled via yeah. telecommunications, digital technologies. So the idea of that energy crisis snowballing into a telecom crisis, snowballing into a business Crisis. And obviously, energy is already a huge contributor to the business crisis. It's just such a negative domino effect and um, one that is so easily resolvable if we could just stop intervening in the marketplace. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, wh <sighs> What's the solution to it? The solution would be to negotiate peace in Ukraine. Mm. First of all, stop the war immediately. Ceasefire immediately. 
negotiating table for peace. How it's going to pan out is not my pay grade, but talk. Sit down and talk. Stop the weapons immediately. Stop the warmongering. Stop sending weapons to Ukraine. Let the Russians also withdraw their weapons. Let them sit down, preferably in Swiss territory, which should be neutral. Stop the sanctions against Russia and, and, and start to normalize the thought process. What does society or the world need? Energy. <laughs> and, you know, this annexation that we spoke before, as we concluded, happened many times over in the world, in different parts of the world. It's not something new. Um, and I always say it's good to have borders. Why? Borders keep people safe and they can relate to them. Unfortunately, radioactivity knows no borders. And that's something nobody wants. I assume you're referring there to the escalation to nuclear yeah. conflict. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just struck sometimes when we get into these, the darkness of these conversations can often seem a bit hopeless at times. Um, you see, I, I had a lunch with a journalist today and he confessed to me that he's really facing it off and away from his mind. He's, this guy got five kids, family, wife, a job. And he told me, if I start thinking like that, I will go bananas. So people are phasing it out. They don't want to think about these things. But you and I, I think we have a frank discussion. We have to talk about it because the ultimate risk is out there right in front of us. And it's like us talking about the banks. We know the risks of the banks. Since if you and I could decide what banks should do, we would be we would be hugely successful if, if you and I would have the power to do that in the banks right now. Re revamp them, bring back accountability, drive down the bonus payments, you know, make it normal again. Pay bonuses if somebody makes profits, yes, but not crazy bonuses, nice bonuses. Nobody needs to have an Aston Martin collection. That's totally it's not, you know, it's I know it's capitalism and people. We are in a capitalist world, in a married society. Yes, yes, yes. But it's unconceivable that the CEO can take out a $100 million bonus when the little workers will get a 13th or 14th month salary. Um, it's not right. Yet they do all the work. Right, yeah, we can't phase it out of our minds because that, I mean, that's what allows, what, that's that old quote that evil happens when good men stand by and do nothing. So we have yeah. to face it. We have to talk about it. We have to take action. Are you, like, have you considered a political career for yourself? Like, what? No. Uh, uh, with my depression, I wouldn't be, handled, be able to handle the workload. But I thought about it. But I'm not made for this. I'm not... I'm not tough enough for that job, I think, because politics is a very dirty game and something where my father got murdered for, uh, ultimately, it's politics. Uh, I'd rather be in the background and help other people to understand, do the grassrooting, 
like what we're doing now and maybe pull a few strings here and there, write a few articles, publish them so people can read. But if I would go to politics, I would give up my private life. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be able to survive it. I, 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 I don't think so. If somebody would call me to the duty, I probably would think about it. But I'm not important enough that this is going to happen in the near future. And you've written some excellent articles. Um, thank you. One of which that appeared, we republished on the Freedom Analyx, and which I thank you for again. Have you thought about um, more of a writing career then, like possibly writing a book? Uh, I'm doing a movie, and that movie will be inspiring for young people. Uh, the movie will be a complete story up to now. Uh, the conclusion of it will be Bitcoin. I can give you that hint already. It will be a docudrama, obviously, and it should bring uh, it should shed light on the international banking scene, how things have been going in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, up to now, and give people a glimpse into this power play when you advise heads of states. I advise many heads of states on this planet. I had the privilege to, or ministers, and I met some very bad guys, bad guys in the sense they were just not up to the job, but I met some very smart people in this business and uh, they were impressive to me. Well, I'm just like, when you say sitting back, pulling, like how, how do you see, I'm not sure how old you are, but maybe the next 20 years of your life, like we're facing a really difficult couple of decades, at least I would assume. Yeah. Uh, globally right this isn't this really you know obviously tougher in some places than others but worldwide um things certainly seem to be regressing how how do you intend to apply yourself um given all of the experience that you've gained and, and the wisdom that you've accumulated over time like how do you intend to apply yourself towards pushing the world in the right direction be available for the people that's the first thing not on a high horse even and to share as much as I can for others to 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 see or learn from. And I think uh, again, if I can influence these politicians here by writing some articles that will wake them up, um, that's already maybe much more I can do there influencing them than being a politician myself, getting attacked every day politically in Parliament and stuff like that because I'm not a comfortable guy regarding this job i would really clean up the place but uh <laughs> that's uh quote unquote a dangerous job to do and opposition will be huge because you're you're taking away their parasite sphere and you know i'm not a communist uh i really am centrist and i admit to be a capitalist because we live well we are not poor and i'm, I'm also modest we are not you know spending crazy money on stuff that we don't need and we think about how we spend our money so i think that's again the next 20 years what do i know do i know if we're still around in uh in in, in four weeks uh we're in the middle of a war here in europe i don't know i had a discussion last night with two ladies the one is the mother of a friend of mine she's 82 and her 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 friend is 83 
Can you imagine? One is a farmer, a Swiss farmer, and the other one is a widow. And they were spot on. They listened for the whole evening and they were so happy to have that talk uh, at their age. They were really, uh, it, it was a pleasure for me to share with, with them similar to what we discussed, you and I, with them. And their, their eyes were popping like, wow, you know, this is it. Uh, <laughs> it's really happening. So one lady said, if there's a nuclear war, I would not go to the bunker. I would go outside to the sunshine. I don't care if I'm contaminated. I'm 83. I will definitely not go to a bunker and rot for six months in a dark bunker with, uh, you know, canned food, if there is enough canned food. I don't think so. So, yeah, those kind of scenarios, we went through them. And they were quite tough. They were like, you know, mother instinct. They were quite, ladies are always tougher than men. They, they can sustain a lot of pain much more than we can. Because they have got the mother instinct, the reproduction. That's the way I see women. <laughs> yeah, definitely the fairer gender. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give to young people that are coming of age? You know, a lot of listeners, the demographic of this show is like 93% men ages 25 to 44. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I reflect on myself coming out of, I was coming out of college right when the 2008 collapse happened. So there were six months where there were, I mean, there were no jobs basically. So I was, I had a master's degree and I was landscaping for six months. You know, it was quite an interesting time. Yeah. And, much. but I think that pales in comparison to what young people are doing now i mean yeah into this world seems even worse so like what what pieces of wisdom or what advice would you give to young people coming of age today first advice don't start smoking <laughs> but <laughs> but um really you don't have to force yourself to do a, a degree or study and go to debt for a, a student loan for doing a degree because the system is wrong. I didn't do a degree, by the way. I just did high school, college, and uh, that's it. I didn't do university. Um, I wanted to go to work. For me, it was the military two years to get grown up. And then I went straight to work. Applied for a job in my uniform, got a job. I know those days were different. But uh, as an employer later, Merrill Lynch, I was uh, also a recruiter, right? Um, I had these guys coming in from Harvard, from Yale, from NYU, I mean, you name it. I'm sorry to say most of them didn't qualify. I took once a, an English taxi driver. In three years, he became the most successful bond trader on our, on our floor. The guy was writing 40 million pounds profit for his trading department he was a he was a cab driver but he was not shy to do the to do the hard work i had one lady young girl coming in she had a harvard degree all the best and she said where's my office <laughs> i said well your office is the floor we're all the same here i'm also on the floor i don't have an office i was a vice president i have no office we all work together on the floor and then she said but I'm not going to change the fax paper. At that time, faxes were before the emails. 
and uh, the printing paper. I said, well, that's exactly what you will have to do as well yourself. And she got she got shocked, shell shocked. She said, well, I've got a degree. I said, yes, that's good. But here we start to learn how to work. And uh, she was all confused completely. Very spoiled kid from a very rich family from Lebanon. Um, didn't get the job. Did not get the job. So what I what I would say is, believe in yourself, really. And sometimes jobbing brings you more experience than you know four or five or six or eight years of academic studies. But if you are predestined to become a medical doctor, you have to study. If you love to do that job, do it. If you want to become a lawyer, you need to study. Do it. An architect. Otherwise, the house comes down. You have to do it. But banking and finance, there's many, many ways to get in. Maybe you have a great degree of confidence in selling something. Maybe you have a degree in your head um, of structuring things. That's my recommendation. Try it out. You can only fail. But if you fail, you learn. And I think that's very important for the young ones to understand today. It's not just this mainstream, you have to study, make a master degree. You can become very successful just going to work and build your career and go the ladder up and, and learn and get better. That's maybe the advice I give to people. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. I, I was shell-shocked myself graduating with a master's degree in accounting yeah, actually going to an accounting firm and you the the joke inside the firm was all you learned in college was debits and credits now we're going to teach you how accounting actually works and so um there's a lot to be learned in the real world that you just don't get in the halls of the academy basically See, exactly yeah. yeah and uh you know uh yeah you're right that's exactly that's what it is and that attitude that you're you're advocating for winning or learning i love i always thought that's very important you know you got to you got to take the l's you're going to lose you're going to make mistakes yeah. and the only thing you can do productively with that is to learn the lesson right humbly accept your failure yeah. examine where you went wrong yeah strive to not repeat that mistake again exactly um and That's then it, people right? will, yeah, will succeed. See, we had a culture in the 90s. Merrill Lynch was the number one investment bank in the world. Number one. We were number one for seven years in the league tables. Uh, debt, capital markets, uh, uh, investment banking. We were number one. We had a culture back then that failure was good. Don't be afraid to try out something new on the floor. Just try to fix it. Do it. Try to, to promote your idea. Try it out. And we were pretty successful with that culture in the bank, in, in the firm. We were called the thundering herd of bulls, you know, because the logo is the bull. <laughs> Was the bull. No more. Um, but then it outgrew. The business, the corruption inside outgrew. The corruption within the firm grew to a level where it was not not normal anymore. And the other banks that worked for the same problem, you had fiefdoms and silos within the bank or the firm, which were fighting each other, not cooperating, not working together. And it was just destructive, completely destructive. Hunting for credit internally, just 
bonus culture killed it everything. Killed everything. Wow. Um, well, yeah, I think, Skull, I, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think I've reached the end of everything we've kind of outlined here. Me too. Um, I'm very happy that we could talk. Yeah, yeah, I, I just thank you again. I guess for sharing the wisdom and and you know, sort of bravely sharing your story. I'm sure a lot of these things are not easy to talk about. And, no, they're not. But I trust you. You're a great man of integrity and truth. That's why I ventured into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate that. And again, thank you and and my thank you on behalf of my audience too. I'm sure they're going to get a lot out of this. Thank you um, very much. I think we did this last time, but just in case uh, current listeners did not catch the last episode, do you want to let them know where they can find out more about you or your work? Sure. I think Google my name. Uh, I can spell the name if you want. It's Pascal. It's P like Papa, A like Alpha, S like Sierra, C like Charlie, A like Alpha, L like Lima. And then Najadi is November, N, A, Alpha, J, Juliet, A, Alpha, D, Delta, I, India, Najadi. So they will find a lot of stuff about me and uh, articles I wrote recently or in previous years, the story about my father, the corruption case in Malaysia. Uh, it gives them an insight. That's wonderful. And then you also, uh, again did a guest contribution to the freedom analytics, which is the Substack account that yeah. I run. And that was in early November, early September, 2020. Yes. Um, they should read that. Yes. It's valid still today. Yeah. About preventing world war three. So yes. pretty important topic. Um, thank you again for doing this. I, you know, we should, uh, we should do this again soon. There's a lot of developments that we've mentioned that yeah. I think we could revisit soon and, uh, and see where they've gone. So, Robert, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you and to the audience. I send my best greetings to you and the audience, and I hope we'll do it sometime again. Thank you very much. Indeed, we will. Thank you, Pascal.